When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The following is a Podcast One Minnesota production. For those who simply can't get enough talk about the Vikings, we present Bonus Chatter. Bonus chatter about your favorite team that's unscripted, unfiltered, and uninterrupted. This is another edition of 1500 ESPN's Purple Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Purple Podcast. Matthew Collar with you and joining me for a film session. The last time we did this, we got really great feedback on it, so I wanted to do it again. Brandon Thorne, who is now writing for USA Football, breaking down some of the details and ins and outs of offensive line and defensive line play, which is awesome. Also still working for the Scouting Academy. Brandon, how are you? I'm doing good, Matt. Uh, Excited to be doing another one of these with you. Yeah, I really had a lot of fun breaking down Brian O'Neill. So if you haven't listened to that one, then go back in the podcast feed and find it because we had a great time and got some suggestions on how to do it. So what we're going to do is take a look at the Vikings offensive line in week 17 and the right side combination of Mike Remmers at guard and Rashad Hill at right tackle because it's very likely as the Vikings go into star training camp, very likely that this is their offensive line combination. So the bigger picture question here is, will it work? And I think what we're going to try to do is get through some of the game tape here with Brandon breaking it down and me setting it up. And then at the end, we could talk about what our conclusions are, concerns, and things that might work out well for the Vikings if Remmers is at guard and if Rashad Hill is at right tackle. And before we get started, Brandon, I just have to thank the Vikings fans for having an extreme interest in offensive line play because I think that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, I agree. This is awesome fan base for sure. They have enjoyed the the pieces we've done together on Pat Elfline and then on, on O'Neill and, and different uh, podcasts we've had breaking down offensive line play, which I think I would get messages from a lot of fans going, come on, are you kidding me? But Vikings fans love to dive in deep. So um, and this right here, too, is – I think the biggest concern of Vikings fans going into this season, you've got the defense locked down. You've got the quarterback position all set. Delvin Cook's coming back. The receivers are excellent. It's will the offensive line hold up. So let's get right into it, Brandon. And our first play that we're going to look at is Week 17, Chicago Bears, Minnesota Vikings, 11.08 left in the first quarter with a a look here at a pass from Case Keenum to Stephon Diggs that resulted in 26 yards. And what we have for the setup, so the Bears play a 3-4 defense. It's a little different. You have uh, Houston coming off of the right 
or the well, the left end, but off of Mike Remmers's side. And you have Akeem Hicks, who plays a very big role in this game. And you have a shotgun situation here with three wide receivers, Jarek McKinnon's in the backfield, and why don't you take us from here on what happens on this play where Rashad Hill ends up looking pretty solid in his pass protection. Yeah, so just for a little bit of context here, the there's a receiver right outside of the pass rusher here. Lamar Houston is the pass rusher for the Bears. And there's a receiver right there, looks like Dean Um, So that right there, just that alignment of him is going to cause Houston to just at least consider his placement there as a potential chip. So that actually a lot of the times is, you know, it it not only bunches up the receiver to get him, you know, more space to operate in his routes or whatnot, but it also causes that defensive end or pass rusher to think for a second, man, this guy could crack me in the side of my, you know, head basically right here without me expecting it. So let me just maybe be a little cautious. So that helps him a little bit, Hill. And then also he has a running back on top of that um, coming out of the backfield who also could give another chip. So Hill has some help here a little bit, but still Hill comes out of his stance here um, pretty, pretty explosively. Uh, He takes a little bit of, he's, he's a vertical setter. So his first step is vertically back almost every single time he takes a pass set. And you see that here, um, that initial step. And then he comes a little bit out to the defensive end, but he beats him to the spot. So he, he hits his set point here and times up his hand placement nicely. Um, and you see right at the strike, strike point, he times it up and gets him right in the chest. And then on that outside part of his shoulder, good hand placement, um, good job coming out of his stance and really just kind of thwarts the rusher there and pushes him past the pocket. So Keenum can have a kind of a clean window there. So good hand placement there, I think is the biggest thing for Hill. So I'm just going to point out that these, all these clips will be in an article uh, that you can take a look at so you can match them up and I'll write out some of the things that Brandon said in detail. Look for that at 1500ESPN.com. That's how we've done it in the past. And I think it's worked great. Um, so I think what this tells us a little bit with Rashad Hill is when Mike Zimmer has praised him for his ability to slow down some good pass rushers using his long arms and hands, that Zimmer's not feeding us a line. He rarely feeds us a line anyway, but he's not just throwing support behind him, that there is something to it with Rashad Hill being a pretty solid pass protector. Yeah, I think so. There's there's multiple plays in this game where there's very similar outcomes to, as this, you know, against Lamar Houston, who, you know, maybe was a little bit more effective in his Oakland Raider days, but but still, you know, is a, is a I think probably a decent pass rusher. Um, and you could see in this game, there's multiple instances where he gets his hands on the on Houston before Houston can get his hands into him, and that results in him just pushing him past the pocket or just sustaining his block and giving the quarterback enough time. So, um, plenty. Plenty of examples, I think, in this game, that for sure. So what we have, by the way, for our listeners, is we've got a couple good plays from each guy, from Remmers and Hill, and then a couple of bad plays from each guy. And so we'll be talking about strengths and weaknesses, and then we can put it all together when we're done looking at each play. So I want to move on, Brandon, to the next play, which is at 1036 of the first quarter. And Mike Remmers on this one shows what kind of excellent run blocker he can be. And maybe the biggest reason that the Vikings want him at guard uh, 
is because they plan on running the football with Delvin Cook quite a bit here this year, and they want somebody who's going to be effective in run blocking. So this play right here, you've got uh, a tight end on the end of the line. You've got uh, a fullback in the game with C.J. Ham and only one wide receiver in Adam Thielen who's wide, and uh, Latavius Murray ends up with an eight-yard gain. So what do you see here that works for Mike Remmers? So Vikings are going to run an outside zone here to the boundary side of the field. So to the wide side, they're on the opposite hash. And Mike Zimmer, or excuse me, Mike Remmers has Akeem Hicks and a head-up technique. Mike Zimmer couldn't like block a, anybody, Brandon. He's 62. <laughs> certainly not Akeem Hicks. <laughs> um, but uh, Akeem Hicks is just in a head-up technique here on Remmers. Um, so Remmers' goal here, his job, is to cut off Hicks pursuit of the ball so you'll see at the snap he gets a good jump off the ball crosses his face gets in front of him does his job there but it it doesn't end there Hicks you know has an alley has a has an angle on the runner right here to basically make a tackle for loss or a tackle for no gain but Remmers instantly turns his head flips around and blocks him and basically prevents him from grabbing the running back there. And that's just a heads up play by, by Remmers to not. So, I mean, to cut him off initially is good, but then to come back around, loop back around and to make that block there, that's what buys an extra, you know, seven, eight yards and allows the running back to get to the hole. So I think that's another common trend that you're going to see when you watch this tape of Remmers is a lot of heads up plays. I mean, he's, he's constantly diagnosing things properly and quickly and um, I just think he has definitely some good mental processing. And, you know, you could see that experience in his game, even though he's playing a new position. So on this play, it kind of looks like he goes right by Hicks, or maybe it's a little bit of a swing, right. swing and miss, but he was doing the right thing as yeah, far as trying to. Yeah, his job is to get in front of him right there, not necessarily to get in front and just stop right there because it's kind of, kind of difficult to just – get in front of him there and just all of a sudden stop. He mm-hmm. just takes a different approach, I guess, you know, and just crosses his face altogether and then comes back around. And that could be premeditated for sure and, and, you know, planned by him. But either way, that's a very crafty way of getting that block secured on, you know, an elite run defender. So that was that was definitely impressive there. And that's what you see a lot from Remmers, as you mentioned. But going through this whole thing, when it comes to his run blocking, he seems to be a really bright player, which might be one of the reasons that the Vikings liked him so much to sign him. Yeah, I think that's one of his best traits. I mean, aside from being, you know, uh, having good strength and being very competitively tough, you know, he's a very, like, chippy, scrappy kind of guy who, I mean, you'll see it in this game. I mean, him and Hicks kind of get into it, and they, they have a lot of stalemates. So to be able to have that attitude and that mentality, but also that strength, and then that leverage and pad level and hand placement to, you know, get into Hicks and like stalemate him multiple times. I mean, that kind of stuff, I, I know that's what they liked him on his tape, you know, watching him with the Panthers before they signed him because that's how he won as a player. That's like where he makes his money is in the run game, doing those kind of things. But then also, like you said, mental processing for sure. And you see it in pass protection too, but he just constantly makes the right decisions and diagnoses things quickly. 
So moving on to the next clip that we have is another good play from Rashad Hill in the run game. Now, there's more bad than good, in my opinion, Brandon, from Rashad Hill in the run game. But I think at least with this play, it shows us that Rashad Hill has the potential to be a decent run blocker, maybe with some work. Uh, So what we have here is we've got two wide receivers. Um, The wide receiver on the quarterback's right is in toward the line. Looks like an extra lineman on this play, maybe, if that's not David Morgan. I kind of can't tell. I think it might be David Morgan at the end. So you've got running back, I think six linemen and There's David an extra Morgan. Lineman. Right, okay, so yeah. six linemen and David Morgan at the end. So only two wide receivers. Clearly, they're in a situation here where in the fourth quarter where they want to pound and run out the clock. And what you get is a handoff to the right side, and Rashad Hill is able to gain leverage on his man and create a big hole for Latavius Murray. Uh, what do you see here, and does this tell us a little bit about some potential there for Rashad Hill to be a decent run blocker? Well, I think the best trait that I've seen from Hill um, in general, and specifically this game, is his hand placement. We saw it earlier in pass protection. We see it here in the run game. Um, so he has an outside shaded player here, and they're going to run outside zone. Same play that we looked at earlier with Remmers, um, again, to the wide side of the field. And uh, except this time, Hill, um, he has a shaded player. So really his job is to reach him. So, you know, basically to get his hands into his frame, um, create leverage and move his feet quick enough in his hips and get his hips around the defender to cut him off and reach him. You know, and that's exactly what happens here. I believe that's Jonathan Bullard guy from he went to Florida. I think he's in his second or third year. So he's he's a you know a decent player, but um right here just really the initial hand placement from Hill and then for him to run his feet while maintaining leverage and then to get you know work his hips around and seal off that block. Um you know you can't ask for much more than that. And that is the hole that the the run winds up going through, which is the uh C gap. So in between Hill and that six offensive lineman, that hole is created because of Hill and his hand placement and just how he gets around on that block. So how difficult might that be to do on a consistent basis for a right tackle with the the run blocking? I don't think we think of right tackles as being super, super crucial to the run game like we do centers and guards and even left tackles to some extent. But we were talking about with Brian O'Neill that he might have the potential to pull from the right tackle. I don't see that being something that Hill can do, but if they're going to continue to run the outside zone plays with Delvin Cook, if he could do that on a consistent basis, they can break some big runs. Oh, yeah, for sure. That That's huge. I mean, tackles are very important on outside zone, um, especially when you're you know, running to the wide side of the field like this, whatever tackle was on that wide side, I mean, it's very important when you have a shaded player in front of you. Um, you know, it's key that you get a reach block there. And, you know, I mean, he's going to be going against, you know, much better competition than this, um, than Bullard. But at the same time, you know, that's, you can't ask for much more. That's kind of picture perfect reach block right there. That That's textbook. You so, know, so it's it's good to see. So something you were concerned about after watching this was Remmers and pass protection. We'll get to that in a minute. But you also found some more evidence of him being a heads-up type of player and a bright type of player 
in pass protection in the second quarter with 20 seconds left in the half. Vikings driving, trying to tack on some more points. They eventually would end up with a uh, field goal being no good by Kai Forbath. So on this play, they are in the shotgun here, and you have three wide receivers, a tight end who is off the line of scrimmage, and a running back. And the Bears do a stunt, which just means one guy going around the other guy. It would be the most basic way to put it, that the defensive tackle goes one way and the defensive end comes around him to the middle of the field. So how does Remmers handle this properly and shut down the pass rush from the Bears? So at the snap, he's going to read that Hicks is kind of slow playing his rush here, which signals some sort of stunt because Hicks is trying to set something up. And as soon as he recognizes that, I mean, the ball is snapped and he comes out of his stance and the instant that he sees that Hicks is kind of hesitant, he basically attacks him and jump sets him and gets his hands on him and pushes him, you know, to the side. And that really pushes him because they're running a TE stunt over there. And they're actually running an ET stunt to the left side. So where the, the end comes first and the tackle loops around, mm-hmm. on the right side, they're running a TE stunt with the tackle coming first and the end looping around. And he basically ruins it because of his heads up, you know, play and his, his play recognition here, basically to diagnose this stunt. Um, it causes him to push Hicks into the defensive end, which kind of ruins his path on the loop. And it just, you know, it ruins that stunt. But the stunt on the other side worked great because I have no idea what the left guard is doing and <laughs> he just gets beat there. But um, if not for that, uh, Remmers right there, I mean, that's a great way to handle a, a TV stunt and to kind of wreck, you know, he, he basically blocked two guys there. And I think if you are wondering why Jeremiah Searles wasn't the guy in the playoffs and things like this, he didn't have a particularly good game week 17 and struggled most of the time when he was in. He was a emergency fill-in for a game or a couple of plays here or there, but I think they were terrified to have him playing in playoff games. So even though it didn't work out really that well in the playoffs with the offensive line, that probably explains moving Mike Remmers over to left guard, even if that wasn't ideal. And it also shows how much they lost when Nick Easton went down, that Easton didn't get the highest pro football focus scores or things like that, but what he brought to them uh, in terms of being able to move and as being a, a feisty and intelligent player that they lost a lot of when they had to put in a guy who was immobile and not as good of a pass blocker as, uh, as Nick Easton. So that's the good So just recap the good Rashad Hill. Great with his hands and in pass protection has some very good moments. Mike Remmers, feisty, intelligent, uh, good at spotting something like a stunt. Also, kind of clever when dealing with a player who's very powerful and a successful run stuffer. That's all the good. So what you don't have is any type of complete disaster if these guys are starting, because there's a lot to like. Now to the bad side that we've said that. And we'll go to the first quarter early in the game, 12-14. And if you remember this game, uh, is it the first quarter? I'm sorry. I have first written, but I don't have 12-14 here. Was it 12-52? What do you have right yeah. down there? 1252? Yeah. Okay. 12-52. Okay, my mistake. So we've got um, first quarter, if you remember this game, week 17, not the most memorable game in the world. A lot of ground and pound from the Vikings. And so starting with Rashad Hill here. Um, Actually, it's uh, 1147. Oh, 1147. Okay. All right. Yeah. Now we've got it 
resolved. Um, a lot of ground and pound to start this game, and we get Latavius Murray with a six-yard run. Once again, David Morgan in the game, and once again, an extra offensive lineman. So you could tell what the game plan was. It was a lot of, let's just run it down Chicago's throats, get the win, get home field advantage for the first game, and, and move along with our lives. Rashad Hill on this play struggles to get himself out to the linebacker, which he is his assignment on this play. Kind of explain where he got caught up and why he wasn't able to get out to the linebacker that Murray still ends up with a six-yard run, but could have potentially been more if he was able to get out there. Yeah, so they're basically double-teaming the, um, excuse me, Hill and the six offensive linemen. They're double-teaming Hicks to number 44 to the linebacker. Um, and Hill's job here really is to give a good um, chip or um, really get a good piece of Hicks to kind of secure him inside for the six offensive linemen outside of him to take over that block. But Hicks, I mean, we'll, we'll start with Hill. He comes out of his stance, and he's, he's pretty high. He gets high pretty much right away a lot. He plays with high pad level, and, you know, that really negates his ability to use leverage. And Hicks takes advantage of that here. He just kind of gives him a, you know, a one-arm stun, and it basically rises his pads even more, raises his pads even more. And um, Hill just loses all leverage at that point. And, you know, he winds up getting behind, you know, because his job is to really, like, aggress, be way more aggressive than this and, you know, actually be violent and powerful here. And he's just kind of timid and soft, and Hicks just kind of just, like, he's like, get out of here. And you know, that messes Hill up and his track out to the linebacker gets ruined and he just kind of gets pushed into the cluster and just trips over um, that defensive lineman for the Bears. I think that's Eddie Goldman. He just trips over his legs, you know, and totally, and then his man winds up making the tackle. And if on this play, if he got out to the linebacker, I mean, the only guy could left. could be a huge game. Yeah, the only guy left is the safety. And Latavius Murray, with his size, um, He's tough to take down for one guy. And there were quite a few times last year where we saw him, if he got out to that second level and he was one-on-one -on -one with a cornerback or a safety, they had a pretty tough time with him. And uh, yeah. even so even though it's a successful play, and this is what makes me think all the time about yep. running games and the success they have and how much is reliant upon those guys up front, that even though Delvin Cook is special, I think Rashad Hill's limitations – in some areas like this, I mean, he's not the quickest guy. He's not the best athlete. You mentioned the pad level I, that could hurt them at times and they might have to kind of work around it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you see that I think pretty consistently on the film with Hill is his pad level so high that he just is unable to generate a lot of power or movement at that point, because I mean, you have to be kind of coiled and, and um, you know, playing low, you know, so you can uncoil and un unlock your hips into the block. And if you're already high at the point of attack, you have no power, you know, from your lower body. And you see that a lot with Hill. He's just trying to kind of, you know, block guys with his hands and his arms. And that's just not going to work. You know, you're not going to generate any movement doing that. You're just kind of getting, you're just going to get in the way. And if you just try to get in the way of somebody like Akeem Hicks, he's going to do that. You know, he's just going to, you know, push you off and, you know, basically disregard you pretty easily, and that's what he did there. So, you know, he, he needs to totally, I think, revamp his technique, you know, as a run blocker for sure, and um, that's a good that's a good um, example of it there for sure. 
I definitely came away with a lot of respect for Akeem Hicks after this game. I mean, I, I knew he was good, but now that you and I have watched this really closely, he is a dominant player, and he makes the, the Bears' defense kind of intriguing for this year. We've talked about their offense being a lot different, but uh, when you have a guy like that to start with, you're in pretty decent shape. Um, so let's move on to yeah. the Right? I mean, what a beast. This, He's done, he did some bad things to the Pat O'Flynn this year. This um, is this is a great era for defensive tackles. Like, if you love defensive oh yeah, tackles, you're in good shape. Eddie Goldman's pretty dang good, too, their other guy. So they have two. And and further explaining the pro football focus scores for the Vikings, they faced 11 of the top 20 from pro football focus rated defensive tackles last year at one time or another. And I think, I don't know if that counts Cameron Hayward or not. Cameron Hayward's a, a unbelievable beast and he yeah. ripped them apart. So when you look at those grades, a lot of times it matters just who you're playing against. Because if you're not playing the elite of the elite, that's you're probably going to end up with some better grades. But if you hang on for dear life and handle someone like Aaron Donald, even if your grade isn't good, if he didn't crush you, then that's a, that's a pretty good job on that day. So that might be one of the reasons that um, coaches and things, uh, players get frustrated by some of those scores. If you're Xavier Rhodes and you're facing Odell Beckham and Michael Thomas and A.J. Green, that's different than rotating in and facing the fourth best receiver. So anyway, just wanted to kind of clarify that a little bit because you get questions important uh, context about it. Right. So anyway, this next play, we get a little bit of uh, Mike Remmer struggling in pass protection. And you mentioned that he had had a tough day there. So uh, we're at 10, 12 left in the fourth quarter and you've got three wide receivers, a tight end running back in the backfield. And it's, Pretty much just Remmers on Hicks on a, a straight pass rush. And Hicks goes right over the top of Mike Remmers and right into the backfield where Case Keenum is throwing out of the end zone on this play. Yeah, this is a tough alignment for an offensive lineman to pass that on, a two-eye or somebody who's basically like on your inside eye. Um, that's very, very difficult. It's just kind of an awkward situation for an offensive lineman because you can't really move a whole lot there you mm -hmm. know if you move too much you'll overset them so you know you'll you'll notice at the snap here that Remmers just kind of resets his feet at the snap and his feet aren't in a great position from the start you know when they're not really staggered much like they are at the point of contact here he doesn't have a lot of um, margin for error here so if he his ability to recover is um, severely restricted because of the way his base is here. And Hicks gets into his chest and just gives him a simple, like, push-pull, arm-over, swim move. Mm -hmm. And Remmers is left basically wondering what happened. I mean, you know, and, and I really think it's because of his feet. He has no stagger here. He's, he's unable to drop that front foot, you know, because really at this point, you know, he's, he should try to drop that front foot and try to, you know, drop that front foot and shoulder and kind of just run him past the quarterback. And because of Hicks's, you know, hand placement, hand usage here and strength, he just kind of pulls him forward and just gives him an arm over. And, and that's, that's as bad of a whiff as you're going to see. Thankfully, Hicks tripped or else that probably would have been a safety. So is this something that you see a lot with Remmers where he just simply struggles when it's, 
man on man and pass rush, whether it's uh, you know a bull rush or there's some sort of move made against him. As a right tackle, I thought he was okay as a as a pass blocker, but maybe it's more difficult for him when he's playing inside. Well, I think he struggled with speed more off the edge as a pass protector, but when you're on inside, I mean, he's not really used to playing guard. And like I said, setting a two-eye, if you talk to a lot of offensive line coaches and even offensive linemen, and you say, like, you know, what's one of the hardest alignments to pass set on as a guard, you'll, mm-hmm. they'll probably say a two-eye. So for him to have a difficult alignment to have to pass it here at a position he's not experienced in. And then on top of it, to do it against Hakeem Hicks. I mean, the odds are stacked against him here to have success on this rep. Um, so I think all that has to be, you know, taken into consideration here. And you see the level of difficulty here because he doesn't really get a good pass set at all. Um, you know, he just kind of engages him with a, a flat kind of, you know, just, um, square base and you don't really have a lot of room to to mess up there and you know Hicks just puts a quick arm over on him and it's, it's over so I think you know with time at that position and practice you know I think that's invaluable in these circumstances when you have to you know set a two eye you know like this um, if you don't do it often you're not probably going to succeed at it especially against elite competition so I think that's kind of what happened there with Rashad Hill, on to the next one for him. He is a good pass protector, but not a perfect one. And on this next play, which is in the second quarter, 12-14 remaining, I think his issue here is just that pad level that you were talking about. And that's the thing that we see repeatedly with him as getting a little bit too straight up and down. And on this play, Lamar Houston gets right into his chest knocks him back in kind of what we were talking about with Brian O'Neill. What you could see with him is if someone bull rushed Brian O'Neill, he didn't really put down the anchor enough to be able to sustain that, that hit into his chest. And this is what we have from Rashad Hill being almost knocked back into case Keenum here. Yeah. Um, you, you pretty much said it. I mean, he's, he's coming out of a stance. That's right, Brandon. I will do the breakdowns from <laughs> now on. You just agree. Okay. You're I mean, welcome. You, you, you pretty much nailed it there. Um, but yeah, I mean, the pad level, like we've been talking about is, is really bad here. He's basically standing straight up from the moment he comes out of his stance and then his hands get wide here. So, you know, we're talking up his hand placement, which I think he has, you know, solid to good hand placement here. He just, kind of catches him and just kind of bear hugs him. Um, and he just gives up his chest. So if you're high and you give up your chest, you're going to get blown up. And, um, you know, that, that pretty much is what happens here. And then also you'll notice, you know, when he comes out of his stance, he immediately turns his hips, you know, and then they gradually turn more till right before contact, his hips are basically facing the sideline. And that gives anytime you, an offensive lineman of pass protection turns their hips like that to the sideline, it's going to basically invite that rusher to the inside shoulder. Um, and that's what happens here. You know, he gives up a soft inside shoulder on top of being high with bad hand placement. So, you know, being able to counter or, or recover versus an in, inside power move like that, it's going to be virtually impossible when you do those things. Other than that, though, it was fine. Um <laughs> He pretty much messed up in every way. Yeah, there really really wasn't anything redeemable about that particular play. Um, Mm -hmm. 
The last one that we have is another Remmers in pass protection, and I think looking at the last one, we covered a lot of it. But it, again, on this one, Hicks just overpowers him and gets right into the backfield. Of just It's one-on-one, and Hicks just kind of puts his head down and powers Remmers straight back. And even as strong as, as Remmers is, this might be an area where he has some trouble. Yeah, so what time are we at? Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, 24 seconds left in the second quarter. Okay, sorry. That was my bad. I didn't say it. So the alignment that we have here is uh, three wide receivers off to the quarterback's left. One tight end is over Rashad Hill and uh, Jarek McKinnon in the backfield. Sorry, I'm having a little trouble here. Okay, I'm here. Yeah. Take so, your take your time, Brandon. We're just got all day for your game pass to work. I'm just kidding. So, uh, no, I, but I'm I think, but, but I think we looked at a lot a lot of that stuff with the last play with Remmers. It's kind of a similar bit of an issue. Yeah, again, I, I'm not crazy about you know his base at the point of contact and kind of his pass set here. Um, y- you'll notice he doesn't drive off that inside leg at all. He he just kind of resets his base. So. I don't know if that's necessarily ideal here, but at the same time, Hicks is really like a tight three technique. So he can't really drive off that inside leg much, you know, here anyway. So um, I think the problem lies in how low Hicks gets here. Mm -hmm. So Remmers right after that initial point of contact, he's trying to reset his hands underneath and kind of re-leverage himself underneath Hicks pads and like kind of trying to get those hands you know, underneath Hicks' arms, and Hicks is just so low and inside of him that he's unable to do it. And, you know, if you can't reset your hands and square him back up, Hicks is obviously stronger than Mike Remmers and bigger, and he just kind of collapses that outside shoulder and, you know, kind of just gets in Keenum's grill there. And and the Um, result is because he was in Keenum's grill, I think Keenum overthrows this ball. Because yeah, Keenum, he can't step up into it. Yeah, he got the mismatch that he was looking for. He was looking for yeah. six foot six Kyle Rudolph on, I think, a cornerback. So uh, that's a matchup they're always going to look for and try to go to Rudolph because he can go up and get it against a guy who's maybe five eleven, um, and, th- and that could have resulted in you know a nice twenty yard corner out there to Rudolph, but instead an overthrow, and that's where. So if we're talking about big picture, so those are the plays that we looked at. Again, 1500ESPN.com, and I will link in the description to this uh, the different clips for you to look at that we're talking about. And I, as far as the takeaways go, Brandon, tell me first mm-hmm. some of the criticisms that you had on the bad side. Which might be fixable or improvable with these two guys playing together and at their positions more having a full training camp and where they could get better at some of these things. Well, we'll start with Remmers. I mean, he's playing virtually a new position, you know, on the inside at right guard. So just really time and reps, you know, in practice on setting things like a two eye alignment. Um, I think he'll definitely, you can definitely improve on that. You can improve um, what kind of set you need to take, you know, that's going to put you in the most advantageous, advantageous position on those type of alignments. Um, I think that that can certainly improve, which would take care of that first rep we looked at, the bad of him. This last one we just looked at of him, I mean, you know, if you're going against a guy like Akeem Hicks and he gets lower than you and he's bull rushing, I mean, 
it's just kind of like hold on and pray at that point. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's not a lot of guys. I can't think of one guy in the NFL who's going to sit down on that bull rush and, and, and stall picks, you know, completely. So I'm not sure exactly what he could have done there um, to, you know, have done a lot more there um, aside from just really trying to get reposition those hands a little bit better. But, you know, it's so tough in that situation that it's hard to say um, in the run game. I think he's, probably going to be you know pretty good right away like you know we saw he stepped in in week 17 against excellent competition and was pretty good so I, I don't really have a lot of concerns there and um with hill you know I, I think being more explosive you know if that is possible for him like being more um engaged you know it just doesn't look like he's super you know explosive out of his stance and pass protection. So if he can really ingrain those movement patterns to hit different set points as a, as a pass protector explosively, I think that that will help him tremendously because he'll be in better positions to use his hands at that point. Um, I think that's really the biggest thing. And then, you know, pad level, that that's a function of a lot of things. You know, I, it looks like he's pretty stiff, you know, and I, I'm just making an observation on the tape. I don't know, you know, 100%, but it looks like he's pretty stiff in his lower half. You know, I don't know if it's his ankles or his hips, but, you know, increasing mobility in those areas, that allows you to get lower. Um, so that may help him a little bit. But then also just being more cognizant of his pad level and just trying to be deliberate in lowering his pads and playing at, you know, at better leverage, basically, because he plays pretty high. Um, I think if he does those two things, he'll, he'll be significantly better. Um, you know, I'm, I'm still not sure how, you know, how good he can necessarily be. Like we talked about earlier, I don't think his ceiling is very high, but you know, those are some small things I think he can do. And then, you know, anytime that, uh, you know, an offensive line pairing, like, you know, right guard, right tackle can play together, um, for more reps, more games, more time, they're going to get better at different things. Communication is huge, you know, in the run game and in pass protection. Mm -hmm. So. Um, you know, I know training camp and everything is going to be invaluable for those two specifically because they haven't really played together before, you know, for any length of time. So I think naturally they should improve, you know, if they both stay healthy as the year goes on because Hill isn't very experienced. Remmers isn't very experienced at that position and they're definitely not experienced playing together. So, you know, I would expect as the year goes on that you would see, you know, some small incremental improvements with those guys' performance. So big picture, last question for you, because all the time that you give me to learn us some things about offensive line is awesome, and I really, really appreciate it. Um, and I hope people go find your Twitter at Veteran Scout, go find your writing at USA Football, and learn more about offensive line play, because once you dive in, it's pretty fun to be honest with you. It's, it's kind of cool because then you start spotting all of the things that you read about and what the best do and what makes them the best and, and things like that. So I hope people look at your work um, off of this podcast. So just the, the last thing for you, big picture, Brandon, is this going to be okay? <laughs> is, is this going to work out or is this going to be a problem? Because Kirk Cousins, I, I know I've mentioned this a bunch of times, so sorry, but he was sad. Uh, fumbled more times than any other quarterback in the NFL over the last three seasons. He was sacked the most in the NFL last season. And it's when I watch his tape, I see some times where he doesn't sense the pressure when it's coming from the outside, especially 
And if this offensive line isn't at least decent, that could be the one thing that could derail a team that's really good. So tell me if you think it's going to work. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, at first I look in the division and I don't, I think your division is probably one of the weakest in football for edge rushers. So that's a good thing. Um, there's nobody really scary with, you know, the lions, the Packers or the bears. I mean, you know, if, um, Clay Matthews, you know, he's, he's pretty good, but you know, he, I think he's probably a better run defender at this point than a pass rusher. So you know, that's encouraging, you know, within your division, you, you're not playing in the AFC West, thank God. Um, you know, so you don't, <laughs> you know, you're not playing in, you know, anything close to that. Mm-hmm. However, you know, the interior defensive line, you know, the Packers and the Bears have excellent interiors. I would say the Lions don't at all. Um, but the Packers and Bears interior wise, now that that's going to be a you know a problem for pretty much every offensive line, but um, for for you know I'm looking at your offensive line. I think it's going to be a little bit below of what you had last year, and you know last year I thought that the offensive line that you guys had was you know probably in the top you know 16 top half of the NFL, mm-hmm. you know somewhere in that you know 10 to 15 range probably. You know I think you're probably going to be a little bit outside of that, maybe in the top 20, you know closer to 20 you know, or or so maybe, you know, early 20s or, you know, something like that. So not, I, I definitely don't see, you know, like I would say a good offensive line right right now, at least. I mean, because, you know, I think your your two guards are probably solid at best. You know, they could do different things well, um, you know, but I would expect Easton to get better, Remmers to get better. So that, that could be, that could be pretty good there. But right tackle is... You know, I would consider that a pretty big hole right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that could, you know, like when you play, because I'm looking at your schedule, you know, when you play teams like the Eagles, you know, and, you know, the um, Seahawks and, you know, teams like that on your schedule, it could, you know, I, I don't I don't feel great about your offensive line um, this season, to be honest. I mean, I think Reef and Elfline are your clear strengths. I think Easton in between those two, is probably the next best, you know, especially he's playing between two very good players. Um, but the right side, you know, with Remmers in the run game, I think you'll be, you'll be totally fine. But Hill, man, I mean, it, that one just worries me in that, you know, there's too much unsure, you know, too much that I'm unsure of on that right side for me to say it's going to be much better than like a 20, 25, you know, type offensive line out of the 32. And that's where we will go back over and over and over and over again to draft night. And we will ask if this doesn't go well, we will ask, Hey, why didn't you pick a guard when you were in win now mode with a team that could compete for the Super Bowl? If that's the thing that ultimately unravels them at times during this season, the, they were there. Will Hernandez was there. Connor Williams was there. There were some other guys in the second round who were very good and, and might have been good picks. So uh, it will be fun for us, though, Brandon, to get back together and do this again and kind of assess as we go along how this offensive line is going to shape up. Because if there's one thing I know, that it's that things change as we go along. Um Michael Floyd, we thought, might play a role last year, and then he didn't. And last year, going into training camp, this, in fact, the offensive line that started last year, opening day, never played together in training camp or preseason. And then they started week one, and they were good. 
So things change. Alex Boone was a part of this conversation that we were having around this time last year. Things change, and that's part of what makes this all fun. So let's get together again and do it again soon as things progress and as we go along. Maybe there will be changes if Rashad Hill doesn't look good in in training camp, and maybe we're talking about Brian O'Neill and how he could be the starter at right tackle eventually. So, Brandon, all your time is amazing, and I appreciate it, and I hope every Purple Podcast listener got a lot out of this as far as learning what to look for with the right side of the offensive line and just some, some nuances to it that I think are really interesting to learn about. So thank you, Brandon. Definitely, man. And hopefully everyone gets value out of it as well. And, you know, it's always a pleasure. So thanks for having me. And it's always great for me before I wrap up here to just talk with you about this stuff because you have a great passion for it. And that always makes the best conversation. So thank you, Brandon. And thank you all as always for listening to this episode of the purple podcast.